Morning. It is good to see all of you. And those of you online, my name is Trent. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the, I'm the person that will be bringing God's word to you today. Um, I know we have a few new folks here. And uh, yes, we are primarily a Dutch community. Those of you who are new, and yes, this is, even when there's not social distancing going on, this is about how far Dutch people sit away from each other anyway. So. Uh, we, we're in... We've been in a series uh, on the, there are seven churches that Jesus writes letters to in the book of Revelation in, in chapters two and three. And we're, we're, we're in the sixth of seven sermon series, of a seven sermon series on those letters. We're in the church of Philadelphia. Now I'm, I'm kind of excited today because uh, we, our series after, after the gospel, uh, after the uh, gospel in the, in this winter time and into the spring and Easter. Then we went to James, pretty intense. Judges, pretty intense. Seven letters to seven churches, pretty intense. This one though, no major poking going on, just encouragement. So I'm kind of the guy that does the pokey stuff, but I got to tell you, I'm a little relieved (laughs) to just get to encourage a little bit. The prophet in me always likes to poke, but after a while, you just go, that's enough. So Pastor Chris gets to poke at you next week. Today, I'm just going to encourage you. There are a few little things that I'm asking us to think about because Jesus asked us to think about them. Um, But I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer, and I'm going to pray something a little bit different today because the Ephesians 3.10 says this, and this is kind of preparing our minds for a sermon coming up, not next weekend, but the one after that. But Ephesians 3.10 tells us that God, through his church, declares the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities of the air. Now, that's not of the air. I mean, who is that? Okay, Space Force? I don't know. Um, But the demonic and angelic hosts, they listen to the proclamation of God's word. And even here in the scripture, it says, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. So I've always had this idea as a preacher that, that, that yes, there are the enemies of God that are listening, and I can, through the proclamation of the word, we can take away a little power each time we speak the truth. But it never really occurred to me that, that God's angels are also listening and that they're hearing what God says with the proclamation of the gospel. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, but I'm going to acknowledge that in our prayer, and I'm going to ask God to give us ears to hear and eyes to see what he wants us to hear and see. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know how it works, with the angelic, I don't know if there's a, an angel of the church, of, of community reformed church of Zealand, Michigan, or if there's an angel of the churches of Zealand, I don't know. But I do know this, that they rejoice when your word is preached. So I ask Lord today that that angel be rejoicing because you, through me, are faithfully preaching your word. So Lord, I ask that you stand in my shoes that you give me your thoughts. You speak with my mouth so that your people hear, not my message for them, but your message for us. Give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and hearts to receive whatever it is that you want us to receive. And Lord, I acknowledge that there are times when I'm finished with a message and someone will thank me for something that I said that I didn't say. I just believe that that's you working, that you, something said, and it makes someone think of something, and then you get to something else in their lives. I pray that that happened today, Lord, that whatever you're saying, that you speak to each individual person here and speak to us corporately so that we're not only encouraged, 
but we're strengthened in our walk in faith and love for you. Pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father, amen. Now, a couple things about this church in Philadelphia that you, to help you understand what it's, what, what's being said. Um, one, Jesus, in, in, when he addresses each of these churches, the angel of each of these churches, and then he starts speaking to the, to the church, he, he, when he's speaking to their circumstances, each time he's using titles or descriptors of himself, of himself that were listed in Revelation chapter 1. This is the only church where that differs. He doesn't talk about the, the first or the last or the one who was and is and is to come or anything like that. He says, I'm the one who hold the keys to David. So he's quoting Isaiah 22, 22. If you want to go look and read that chapter, I encourage you to do it. Um, but he's telling us something that he's also told us in other parts of the scripture. Well, I'll refer back to um, Peter, Jesus kind of telling Peter something really good about himself when they were at the gates of Hades, the, 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 the gates of hell, which is in their, in their time, it was uh, Caesarea Philippi. Um, but there's, a, there's some things that we should understand going in. One is that this church had not really messed up. That's good news. Um, they haven't given up what they love. That's good news. They're not really strong, but in the strength that they have, they are doing great work, and that is good news. The bad news is that they're suffering persecution, not only the persecution that Jesus knows is coming through Domitian, the new emperor, he's going to ravage Asia Minor, which we call Turkey. Um, and he's trying to prepare his people in advance for that to come. But these folks have already been suffering. Um, in some of the cities, some of the churches, some of the areas uh, of Asia Minor, the church were under the protection of being Jews. So the Jewish people under Roman rule, because Rome wanted to keep the, the, everybody at peace as much as possible, and they had learned that the Jewish people have a rebellious spirit in a good way when they're told they have to worship some other god or gods other than the one god that they worship. And so they have an agreement with the Jewish synagogues around the, the, the region that if, if you just do so quietly, we'll leave you alone. And when Christian, when people, when Christ came, and the synagogues, uh, the the Jewish worship center, most of the Christians, most of the new Christians in these areas came out of the synagogue. They were Jewish converts to Christianity. Um, if the if the synagogue was okay with that, it went well for the Christians as well as it went for the Jews. But if the if if the Jewish people said no, you're not part of us, it it was awful for the Christians, because now they have a choice. They either worship the gods of the Roman pantheon, all the different gods, or they, if they worship just Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, they're no longer under the protection of the Jews. They're going to lose their livelihood. They might be in prison. They might be killed for it. So that's what's going on in Philadelphia. The synagogue has kicked them out and, quote, unquote, shut the door on them. So with those ideas in mind, let's read what it says. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door 
that no one can shut. Now, just for a second here, God, God's saying that he has that he has a door that no one can shut. Or, you know, if, if I open, close. I want to give you an example of in our culture where we hear words like that. Now, when a pastor marries a man and a woman, um, there's some things that get said. So if you've ever been married, if you were married in a, in a, by a pastor in the Christian church, um, your wedding looks something like this. You walk down, the bride walked down the aisle, pastor standing with the groom, and, uh, and after gets down there, who brings this woman to be married to this man, da, 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 da. and then the dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to witness this union. No, that's not a Prince album from 1984. So, um, uh, and then, and then, then there'll be the institution of marriage, or some people call it different things, but here's what God says marriage is, and then there's the I do's. Now that you've heard God's plan and ideas concerning marriage, do you agree with it? And do you submit yourself and commit yourself to each other in accordance with God's plan? I do, I do. Then there's usually a scripture reading, maybe a, a brief message, hopefully a brief message because it's a wedding and no one wants to be there for an hour and a half. And then, like today, just kidding. And then after that, there'll be the exchange of vows. And the vows are, are beautiful things. Um, after that, the exchange of rings, a sign or a symbol of the covenant that was just made. And then the pastor says this, by the authority committed to me as a minister of the church of Christ, I declare that you and you, whoever their names are, are now husband and wife according to the ordinance that which is ordained by God and the law of this state. And what God has joined together, let no person tear apart. Or, and more traditional, let no man put asunder. So what God has joined together, let no one mess, mess with that. If God ordained it, if God says it, let no one mess with it. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that, that I have the keys to David. Now we know that Jesus, David was a king and Jesus is in the line of David and Jesus sits on David's throne and he will sit on David's throne for everlasting to everlasting. So he has every right in the world to claim this. And, and he's saying to the church before they even find out what he's really saying, he's letting them know that if I shut the door, it's shut. And if I open the door, it's open. No one can stop me. That's the God of the universe saying, no matter how big of a deal you think you are, how big of a deal you think what's going on in the world is, no matter how freaked out you may be or how confident you may be, whichever way it is, when it boils right down to it, the one who is sovereign over all things, all governments, all individuals, all companies, all economies, all crops, everything, all the weather, whether things warm up, whether things cool down, the one who's in charge, the one who ultimately is responsible for it and can speak it into existence. The one who is sovereign is God. So he's letting them know the one who is sovereign has got you in a good way. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, I'll get back to that in a minute, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, 
I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is, that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, speaking to the people, if you overcome, I will make a pillar. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, not just the church. All the admonitions of the other churches are for all the churches. All the other encouragements for all the churches are for all the churches. Not just the church in Philadelphia, but for this church too. So all the poking that we've had and all the, the uh, you know, the, the kind of wow moments that sometimes you read the scripture and you go, wow. And other times you read the scripture and you go, wow. This is a good one. He's telling us wonderful things. He's saying, if you hang in there, if you hold on, if you are awake, if you, if you keep my commands, if you do what I ask of you, no one can take away, no one can take you from my presence. This whole idea of a pillar, I will make him who overcomes, I will make him a pillar. If you look back in architecture, uh, archaeology and you go to, the, to the, anywhere in, in, in Asia or Europe, when you see all of these things that Rome had built, what do you still see standing? Pillars. Some of the other stuff has fallen. Some of the other stuff, even when they dig stuff up, they still see the pillars. Some of the pillars have fallen, but they haven't been crushed to dust and rubble. They're, 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 they're pieced out in sections. Pillars hold weight. Pillars are stable and pillars are not easily taken down. And Jesus is saying, if you do what I say, if you continue, keep it up, you're doing great. Keep, keep, keep living faithfully and I will make it so that no one, can remove you from my presence. And I'm gonna write my name on you. God's gonna give you a new name. God is gonna put his name on you in the new city, the new Jerusalem. Heaven on earth will come and you will never be removed from it. You will always be in my presence. That is an encouraging thing for the God of the universe who walked around with flesh on to tell his people. But there's something here that sometimes we miss. When I first read it, and, and think, especially in our politically charged environment, um, I don't know if you've noticed. Has anyone noticed? Whew. Last three or four months, worldwide, not just here, but there's chaos. Would you agree? And there's differing opinions that all sound like facts. Agreed? I mean, the same tone we use for facts, we use for opinion. And I don't know anyone who argues something they know is wrong. So everyone who's arguing a particular point believes it. So do you think, and it happens to be an election year, do you think that, that the way things have been in the last three or four months, do you think they're gonna, get, they're gonna just settle down Labor Day weekend and on? It's just gonna peace, joy, hope, happiness. No, it's gonna get, it's gonna get more chaotic because that's what happens. And when I read this bit about the synagogue of Satan, now, I'm not going to be political. I'm just going to tell you I have political thoughts. I have political opinions. My wife can attest. There are very few of you in this room that kind of know where I, where I am on those things. Because I'm a preacher and a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the only thing in my opinion, not just my opinion, but it's backed up by every word of Scripture, that nothing can change the heart of a person. 
or the mind of a person other than the death, resurrection, and reconciliation of Jesus Christ. If my sins are not forgiven, if I don't go from old to new, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells me if, if someone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. Unless the old is gone and the new has come and always coming, I can't change the heart or the mind of another person. But what I do try to do more often than I should is judge the heart of a person. And so when I first read this, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. Okay, what does it mean? Well, the, the, the people of God, Israel, the Israelites, they were God's chosen people. They were meant to be a beacon on a hill. God was making, form them into a people so that they were light to the world and salt to the earth so that everybody who could who look in complete and utter darkness, if you're in complete and utter darkness and you see a spark of light, where is your attention? On the spark of light. It is almost impossible to avoid it. So he wanted his people to be a spark of light, light to the world, so that, so that everyone would move that way instead of away toward, toward who? God. He wanted his people to be those people. And then his people, when, when he actually came, they were looking forward, they're planning on, they're hoping for, they're, they're, they're even prophesying about the coming Messiah when he does show up and they go, nope, he's not who we want him to be. That's why he says they're the synagogue of Satan, not because they're sitting there worshiping a pentagram and lighting candles to demons, but because, because they said no to the love of God that God himself offered. That can't be a motivation of the spirit of God. It only is a motivation of the enemy of God. Those principalities, authorities, and powers of the air. So he's not accusing them. He's just saying they, they speak their native tongue. That's just like Jesus said in John when he's talking to you, you speak your native, we're children of Abraham. No, you're not. You're children of the devil. You speak your native tongue. He's the father of all lies and you're speaking lies. That's all he's saying. But look at what, that's what I, I read that and I'm like, Satan, oh, they're going to get, oh, they're going to get doomed. And when I'm doing things politically, often I look at those who disagree with me and I think they're evil. I'm not God. And I think they'll get theirs. I'm not God. And then I read this. And honestly, it's both encouraging and upsetting. He says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that they're all going to hell. No. And acknowledge that I loved you. What's he saying? This open door. It's not just an open door that they're going to be in God's presence. It's an open door to the very people that hate you. The very people that quite literally shut the door of the synagogue on them so that they're on their own. Some of these people were beaten. Some of these people were imprisoned. Some of these people lost their actual brothers and actual sisters, actual husbands, actual wives, their sons or daughters, their mothers or fathers, because some of them came to Christ, became Christian, and the synagogue decided that they no longer exist. Their names are blotted out of the synagogue. And so if they were to come some Saturday, Sabbath, Shabbat, and knock on the door, and they open the door to see who it is, they would then slam the door in their face. The door has been shut, and God is saying, never again will the door of my presence be shut on my people. But he's also saying that my door won't be shut on those who are against you. It's open. See, it doesn't say that these people will, will, be, will fall to their knees and find out how doomed they are. 
It says they will come to you and fall on, your, fall on their knees and acknowledge that I loved you. Why would they be acknowledging that God loved the Christians? Because they're finding out that God loves them. See, this is reminiscent. Go back to Joshua or Joseph. You remember Joseph, the, 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 the cocky little spoiled kid who had the, his dad made him a special coat? That Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat was a Broadway play written kind of about this, but Joseph had some dreams from God that his brothers are going to bow down to him, so same with mom and dad, and he had the audacity to tell his brothers about it. And they're like, oh yeah? Let's kill him. No, 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 we shouldn't kill him. Dad will be mad. Duh. We'll sell him into slavery. And so he went off and he, went and he ended up in Egypt and then he, he grew up and he had some trouble with Potiphar's wife and then I'm really summarizing. Um, and then suddenly, not suddenly, but over the course of a lifetime, he becomes second in charge of all of Egypt. And you remember what happens? That his father sent his brothers to go to Egypt because, the, because famine was in the whole land and they heard that Egypt had stored up grain because jo God had told Joseph to do so. And they come, these brothers, they're foreigners in a foreign land, and they're asking the person in charge of all of Egypt, can we have some grain? And Joseph reveals himself to them. I'm your brother. How's my father? How's the other one that's not with you? He's, he's tender toward them. And they're unbelievably apologetic. And what does he say? Whoa, 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 hold on. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. So these people who did harm to Joseph, his brothers, kneel down before him and then acknowledge that God has loved Joseph. And there's reconciliation. And not only that, but God's people, that, that forming people, Jacob and, 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 and that whole family, they end up being transported to Egypt and they live in peace for a couple hundred years before the story of God is, is forgotten and they end up being enslaved and then God works other miracles. But do you see that, that, that the open door is that those who are against will be for and they will acknowledge that God has been speaking his truth through his people all along. And that what's the truth? That God loves you. That is a glorious thing for us. There are people that hate us. And in some cases, rightfully so, because we've been kind of judgy. Not all of us, but some of us. And I know I find myself when I'm, I'm watching things on television and political commentary and, and I, I give a lot of grace to the people that, I, that, that are you know, mine and then I give no grace to those who aren't. But what Jesus says that I'm supposed to do is to continue to return evil, not with evil, but with kindness. That I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, strength, soul, and mind and love my neighbor as, my love my, as I love myself. Who's my neighbor? Even my enemy. Because if you only love those who love you, what good is that? Even the pagans do that. Love your enemy. See, we have a remarkable opportunity right now. In a world that is chaotic and is probably going to get more chaotic, we have a wonderful, phenomenal opportunity to be humble, not proud, and to look at another and say, Lord, please, show them how dear they are to you. And if you can use me in any way to do so, please do. See, God's heart is not for damnation. God's heart is for salvation. 
And if you think of, remember Paul? He was the, the author of two-thirds of the New Testament. He had been a persecutor of Christians. He actually killed Christians. And then Jesus showed up to him on, on the road to Damascus, converted him. And he, several years later, he, started, he became this evangelist. He went all around the known world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and the Jews, his brothers and sisters turned against him. His, his quite, quite literally, his kinsmen turned against him. And they were looking to kill him. And in Acts 11, Paul cries out to the Lord and he says, I would trade my own salvation if they would receive theirs. That is the heart we should have. That is what Jesus is commending the church in Philadelphia to remember. Look, you don't have much, but what you have, you're being faithful with. And I promise you that no matter how hard it gets, no matter how chaotic it gets, no matter how much you lose, you will never be separated from me. And those that are against me, who show it by being against you, one day they will acknowledge that I love them, that I love you, because I'm going to show them my love for them. And what's his command to us in this passage? Patiently endure. I don't think it's going to get easier. But I hope to God that he looks at you, he looks at me, he looks at us. And he says, you might not have much strength, but I'm going to leave the door open. Not just for you and my house and you and my proximity and you and my blessing, but I'm going to leave the door open and it can't be shut that those who hate me and hate you right now they will come one day and they will thank you that you didn't give up on my love for them. You see that? You see how glorious a day that will be? When will that be? I have no idea. But if God is sovereign, if he holds, if he holds the key of David, he said it to Paul or said it to Peter at Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is the, the gates of hell. That's how they saw it. That's where all the demonic activity came from. Jesus is talking and he says, Peter, who do, you, who do you say that I am? Well, people say, no, no, no. Who do you say that I am? And he goes, well, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the, you're the savior of the world. And Jesus said, that has not been revealed to you by man, but by God. And I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see the kind of power that God has entrusted to us? If you forgive your brother when he sins against you, so will my heavenly father forgive them their sins. And if you don't, he won't. What does he want from his people? To patiently endure and to love our neighbor as ourself, love our enemy as ourself. The fruit that he's trying to produce in us is in Galatians chapter five. And I'm gonna read these and we'll kind of end with this. It says, the fruit, not fruits, fruit of the Spirit, all these at once. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. It's the one for me. Self-control. <clears throat> but the works of sin in our lives, the works of the sinful nature, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. Debauchery is leading other people to sin. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, party spirit. NIV translates it as factions. RSV, party spirit. And that's not, <laughs> not that kind of party. 
political party spirit and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Do you see that God says that if we judge someone else or if, if politics informs our faith instead of our faith informing our politics, the, the sentence that follows is those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not telling you don't be political. Be political. I'm not telling you don't put signs up. Put signs up. Put bumper stickers on. Have the mask that tells everyone what, 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 you, what you, that's fine. But when you see those who oppose you, are you praying for God to love them through you? Or are you praying that God give them what they got coming to them? The difference between a Christian and anybody else in the political arena is how we see our enemy and how we treat our enemy. How does God treat you? That's how we treat those who are against us. Be passionate. Believe what you believe, but your faith informs your politics, not the other way around. I'll leave it at this. Joshua chapter 24. They just came out of Egypt through the desert for 40 years. Joshua's the, newly, the new appointed leader. They, get, they cross the Jordan at flood stage. They're kind of saying, this is the land that God gave us. And what does Joshua say? Choose for yourself this day whom you serve, whether it be the gods of the area, the gods of your culture, or the God of the universe. And then he says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Folks, there are many things competing for our allegiance. Every one of us. And some seem to look exactly like we want them to. But choose for yourself this day. Are you going to endure patiently and pray for those who you don't really care for? Or are you just going to join in the division, the hatred, the factions? The only way that we are salt of the earth and light in the darkness is if we rise above and we point to God. We can vote. Do. I will. Lobby. Do. I don't. Contribute. Do. I don't. But that's because I, I don't like the IRS. I don't want them after me. But first and foremost, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, live your life in such a way that other people see who your God is. And the way they see it is when they're coming after you, you're calm and patient. There's peace, there's joy, there's hope, there's love, there's mercy, and there's self-control. The next couple of months are going to be crazy. But God is sovereign and he loves you. He will protect what he wants to protect. And he will change what he wants to change. Ask him, watch him, follow him, and see where he leads us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Philadelphians. Thank you that their very name, the city of brotherly love, was actually how they behaved. Thank you for your promise to them that you will 
keep a door open for those who are currently against them. And thank you that you promised them you will never let them be removed from your presence. And Lord, because you say that let, let him who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, Lord, we claim those promises for ourselves because we are one of the churches. Protect us, keep us in your presence, and show us, show us how to op- make sure the door stays open and other people can come. In Jesus' name, for his sake and for your glory we pray, amen.